What's going on, guys? Jack here from the No Mulligans podcast. And if you guys have been paying attention to the Amex this weekend, Nick Dunlap, amateur Nick Dunlap, is leading a PGA Tour event by four strokes uh, over his Alabama alumnus friend, Justin Thomas, currently in second at minus 23. So we actually had Nick on the podcast back in October of 2021 and just wanted to re-release this episode to share with you guys whether or not it's your second time. I'm listening or your first it's an amazing episode and uh, Nick is a great guy so we're gonna be cheering him on on Sunday and y'all enjoy this special edition episode of the no Mulligans podcast see you next time peace welcome back to the back porch of Franklin Bridge where this might be Scott this might be the best podcast of the summer so far yeah, I'm excited about this. So before we get started and before we introduce our guests, I want you to name like the top three podcasts that we've had this summer. Your favorite three that we've had because we're getting into fall golf now. Okay, favorite three? Um, favorite three. Ooh, um, I really like the one with uh, Alex Phillips on fitness. Yep. Uh, debunking some major myths there. Like We'll get into a little bit of some of the stuff I'm sure Nick has done. Uh, when he's uh, hey, training in the gym. Don't release the name no, of our, our okay. special guest yet. Our, our guy, <laughs> Joseph. Um, but um, And then the other one, um, it got a lot of views, but it didn't get the most number of views, but I really enjoyed having Scott and Stephanie on just to get a, yeah. like it gave us a broad number of perspectives and obviously it was a big night here. We had 80 people out here, um, but like we've seen a massive growth in the podcast recently. Um are we at twenty thousand yet? We're so close. We're almost at twenty thousand listens. We're about to. We're about to pass it. So we'll pass it this month. Yeah, it, it maybe by the Most, time you're hearing this, we have. Who knows? We'll see. We'll, we'll announce see. it. But uh, well, same question to you. Your two favorites, because I have my instructor view. You have your. Yeah, I think um, student view. I really enjoy getting to share all of the podcasts um, that have kind of like catered to all of our, uh, you know, weekenders, all of our casual golfers out here. Like um, when we did like how to shave five strokes off your game, that was a really big one. And those are we what were I, sitting over there. I remember we, we were sitting, sitting over that. there and I love that one because um, we give, well, and, and what we talked about last week with don't listen to the WebMD of golf with YouTube. Like we give people actual tips that that it I doesn't know work. Yeah, and it doesn't yeah. matter your skill set. Like they right. work no matter you know who you are and, and what you know what stage of the game you're at. So I like that one a lot. I loved the the big one with Stephanie and Scott having the three tables out here, having eighty people on the back porch, just food, food and drinks running in and out. And you know we That's ran for probably two and a half, three hours, gave away probably yep. over five hundred dollars worth of equipment and then over you know whatever it was amounted to in lessons that's even crazier yeah we did 40 something lessons that or sorry six the total number of people put names down was like 50 something so crazy gave away 50 30 minute lessons yep and then um i liked when we moved the table over here permanently and we've just kind of been better we see everybody and we've been uh i think we've been recording our best stuff recently so that was the very like diplomatic answer to your <laughs> I know, question. I know. Um, well, one of the things I'm excited about going forward is it kind of started with Scott Spector back this spring a little bit. We brought him on one time, and then we're starting to bring on more guests on the podcast. Um, I have uh, 
uh, in the works, we're working on this right now, I have the um, associate uh, women's head coach of Duke University lined up for the future. I uh, don't have an exact date set, but that's coming. Uh, I have a gentleman who wrote the book, The Five Elements of Effective Thinking, which is uh, an important component. I've referenced him a lot um, in how I teach and how people need to learn. Um, and then tonight, this is kind of a surprise one. So, like, we got reconnected on a, you know, sometimes, like, you get reconnected in ways that you wish you got reconnected on different terms. But um, so... For those that are just tuning into this podcast or out here on the back patio for the first time, uh, I taught for 10 years uh, under Hank Johnson, 2004 National Teacher of the Year, Golf Digest Top 50 teacher for almost two decades. Um, he's taught players on the PGA, LPGA Tour, just one of the world's best instructors. Um, so I had the privilege of learning from him. And Nick started taking lessons from Hank when he was about seven and was in a clinic there at Greystone Country Club where I was with Hank. Um, I believe it was that summer. We have to check with your parents to know the exact. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure your mom wouldn't forget. Young enough to where I don't even remember. Yeah, so, um, but Nick was involved in multiple sports. We'll get into that a little bit as we talk here. But uh, Nick and I are just going to kind of, in some ways, just kind of catch up and reflect a little bit. Uh, but Hank passed away uh, two and a half weeks ago. So um, it was uh, obviously kind of a sad moment for both of us. Uh, Hank had a major impact on my life as a teacher and coach. Um, and I think it's one of the reasons why I can fix it so fast. And Nick's experienced that as a student. I've experienced it as a student. So, like, I took lessons from Hank, and I'd been swinging wrong all through high school and college, and I'd been fit wrong and all that sort of crazy stuff. So um, so who we have with us is two – yeah, go ahead. I was about to say, we have to teach you how to like introduce. I know, people. I know, I'm working you know, like, on it. I'm working you gotta, on it. You gotta channel your, your inner Jimmy Fallon, you know, <laughs> next up on the show. We'll let you do that. Well, you know all of yeah, Nick's yeah, accolades. Yeah, I know, I know. So, uh, Nick, uh, we have with us Nick Dunlap. He's the 2021 U.S. Junior Amateur Champion. Um, so, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's Chuck Sharp. <laughs> uh, needs no introduction. Um, what other big events have you won? Like the accolades are like so deep. When did you shoot 59? Were you 14? I, I think I might have been 12. Okay. Excuse me. He was 12 when he shot 59. Um, but, you know, just a phenomenal player. Crazy work ethic. Um, you're going to the University of Alabama? Correct. Uh, for yep. all you I'll, – I'll throw a roll tide out there. Um, but, um, so, and Nick, feel free to handle, handle that mic however you need, man. No, you're yeah. good. I'll um, so, uh, Nick, if you'll, uh, kind of just share with us how you got to where you are, um, you know, obviously you started with Hank and any kind of just general memories from there and then we can kind of, we'll piggyback off of that a little bit. So. Yeah. So like you said, I, I don't even remember my first lesson with you guys. <laughs> um, I, I six so or seven little. or I was tiny. Um, <laughs> yeah. And the impact that Hank and yourself had with my golf game and me as a person, I can't even begin to express my thank you for you guys. Um, I, I, I just, I've probably, I don't know how many lessons it was. <laughs> a lot. A lot. Um, my bad. Very good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm to a point now where I don't have to worry about my golf game. I can just kind of go out and play. Um, I kind of know, you know, what to check up on and um, things like that. But you guys, I mean, have set my way from when I was seven to, you know, where I am now. Yeah, one of the things that Hank used to always say was fundamentals are forever. 
Yeah. And uh, like when you build them and my cracking the code group that I did this winter, I've got another one coming this, uh, do like a four month program with adults and like really take them deep into like, let's change this for good. It's like, once you develop this, it's a, it's a total of a couple of year process, but like once you really develop those fundamentals, you have them forever. You do. And you, really do. you know you what's crazy rely is, on that. is that I've actually started to really feel that in my own personal game with you. It's like I've gotten to the point now like where I'm, you know, a little over a year in where I'm starting to be able to feel those fundamentals uh, and, and know when they're off and when I need to fix something. And so it's really refreshing to hear like maybe one day I won't even have to like uh, I w- I'll, I'll be able to put it on autopilot and just have fun. Not that I'm not having that already, but you know, right. you know what no, I'm saying. No, but you got you to gotta get to another level uh, to be able to play. So um, you began tournaments pretty early, um, but I think the amount of time you put in. So you did other sports as well, right? Mm, correct. I played – golf was really my last sport. Um, I started with football, baseball, basketball, um, and kind of ended with baseball and golf. I think you kind of remember that. Yeah. I played baseball until I was 12 or 13, 14 maybe. Which but. is a huge point for people that are listening. Like They're like, oh, I'm going to early specialize. you got these kids playing in U.S. Kids Worlds at like 8, 9, and 10. That's the only sport they're doing. When you follow those kids, when they get to where Nick's at at 17, they're gone. You hardly know who they are. No, and, and so, I, I've heard it from numerous college coaches. Um, they like people that play team sports. It kind of adds to their, you know, you don't really, t- you don't play, like in golf, you don't play. It's not a team sport. Um, and it's, if kids don't really have that, you know, background, then, you know, coaches look for that. Would you say, though, that, that college golf is the most team sport-esque of like all of the levels of golf that you ever go into. So 100%. in some ways, those coaches actually are looking for guys who can contribute in the team sport environment mm-hmm. because, you know, that's what college golf is. And I feel like it's such a, a very like uh, influential developmental level of the game that really determines, okay, are you hanging up the spikes at the end of this or are you going on to play on the tour? And I feel like you need that headstrong uh, ability and, and while still being able to socialize with everybody who's on the tour to just be able to survive almost yeah I, I would agree with that um it's it's different like people want to be like because it's it's weird because you want you want the team to shoot the lowest possible score you can which requires you to do your best and you want to qualify so you want to beat all the guys on your team or girls um and so it like it's a challenging balance of like there are guys that don't start but like you can't hate on the guys that do start. It's this weird dynamic of like you're just not going to start. It's not like sitting the bench in basketball where like you're going to get in the game. Like yeah. if you're not in the top five, you're not in the game. Sorry, your score doesn't count. Yeah, and it's cool. I've been lucky enough to be a part of a couple team events like that. Um, and you, I mean, you're a it, it it hurts to not be playing. Um, but you know, from the guys that are playing, you can learn a lot from them and kind of you know how they think how they kind of do what they do and um you can learn a lot from them no I, I would agree with that getting around good players is one thing that you've done a lot um i don't remember how young like how old you were when you started playing with other players but like i think it kind of started playing with some of the guys in the shop at graystone and then it kind of bled into where it is now so kind of take us through that like playing kind of going off the team aspect like starting to play with better players and how you think that's impacted your game um you know just for example right now i play a lot um well first first of all i was fortunate enough to grow up in birmingham um there's a lot of good players that roam around there um and you know 
it's just kind of a different mindset to be honest with you um for instance you go out and shoot 70 with four guys and you beat all of them by four you kind of get like well yeah i played great like i don't really need to go practice um i've done it a couple of times where you shoot 65 and you get beat by two and you're like man like these guys just beat me and now i, I gotta go work on it a little bit um and it's just kind of that you know that balance um has helped me a lot and just you know seeing people that beats you motivates you um, which, which is a big dynamic that i think separates good players from great players like good players don't like getting beat and they get frustrated great players go you aren't gonna do that twice yeah I want to speak real quick from like the amateur side of things. It's funny when you go out and play with people and let's say like, I don't know, let's say you, let's say you're somebody around my handicap and you go out and shoot a 79 and you're like, man, that's awesome. Like I, I, I killed it. Or like you go out there and shoot something like an 85 with four of your buddies and like, you, let's say you lose by two strokes and you're like, you know, I just didn't have my best stuff today, you know, but when you go out there and you shoot 65 and you get beat by two other guys, you're like, man, I got to hit the range because this is more than just I had a bad day. And, yeah. and it's like, it's some of your best friends. Like I don't, I, yeah. I, anything I do, I don't really like losing, yeah. um, especially the guys that are closest to you. Um, it, mm -hmm. It'll they give you crap and it, it, it'll eat at you for a little bit. Um, it's just funny how like when you get that good, there's like, you're pressing up against that glass ceiling to the point where like you're going to have to do something differently in your day-to-day -day schedule to get better almost where a lot of us, you know, we see that glass ceiling, but it's, you know, a mile away. Well, and when you get to Nick's level, it's not like, oh, I made a double over there. It's like I made two pars or a string of three pars there and I should have made at least one birdie on those three mm. based on where it was or I chose a shot that left me a 30 foot putt instead of a 18 foot putt and like your chances of making that putt go up it's when you get to Nick's level and like I start tracking data and stats it's it's literally fractions of shots um, if you go way back in one of my podcasts uh, I believe it was in the 30s or 40s I talk about fractions of shots it's being able to find shots fractionally here and there that add up to two or three on the average as you continue to play. Um, <clears throat> so kind of to, um, Nick and I have actually never played 18 holes. And I always <laughs> told him when he was really little, he's like, I'm gonna beat you. I was like, I'm not gonna let you beat me. And now it's like, no, I don't think I, I even have a chance. <laughs> so uh, he's, he's a little injured right now. So I might, I might be able to take him. No, I remember if I was he plays one-handed or something. Yeah, I called you the other day and I was like, "Dude, like, we need to get a tea time for today." And you're like, "Oh, I don't think he's gonna be on for all that long. It's just like a day thing." And I was like, "Okay, that's a that's an opportunity missed there." <laughs> no, we'll, we'll have to do it. He'll be back up through this area and we'll play yeah. some more. Um, but uh, <clears throat> Nick, if you'll, I'd like people to see. Um, everybody looks at it. And it's like, "Oh, you're so talented," and you are talented. Like you've been given a talent, but if we pull back the layers a little bit. Football, baseball, basketball, mm -hmm. young age, played baseball and baseball to like 12, 13, 14? I think it was right before I moved to South Carolina, so 14, I okay, would say. Okay, so 14. basically 14. And they tell you not to mix the two sports, which is a whole bunch of garbage. I think so. <laughs> yeah. I really and the And the research supports it. Like, you mix them all you want. Like, I will say the old, <clears throat> the old guard would used to be like, okay, if you swing a bat right-handed, we're going to learn to golf left-handed. Which is total baloney. 
Yes, I, I agree. <laughs> but I do think like the principles are kind of fun. Like if you can be ambidextrous at some yeah. kind of sporting event. Yeah. But like now that you know, I've been on this podcast with you for a, you know getting close to a hundred episodes now. It's like it's total garbage to feel like you can't do golf and another swinging sport. It it's a way to try and trap kids to stay in their own lane. Like we're going to keep them in baseball or keep them in golf. And or maybe coaches. Yeah, coaches do that. Like, I'm, I'm going to keep this good player over here because I don't want to take a chance that they're going to go off somewhere else. Right, Actually, right. you would benefit them by letting them play both. But with that said, like, the amount of work that Nick put in is I got to watch it going along. Uh, I sent Jack a video of an interview where it was you and Hank at Greystone, and it was north of 40 hours a week you were putting in. So I have an elite junior program here that I require them to get to 25, and they're struggling to get to 25. It's like, how do you get to 40? Like you're in school, like what? What is a obviously summer's different than than when you're in school. But like, what does that look like? Like, what kind of time are you putting in to get to where you're at? Um, well, I think first of all, I, to go back on the baseball thing, I I played baseball, and you know, I knew I wanted to play golf when I was. Well, I traveled baseball. I'd play three or four weeks out of the month everywhere. Um, and I think you know the tournaments that I was home. And I don't remember, I don't like losing at all, but whenever I would try to calculate if I lost this game, then I could get home and play 18 holes is when I, you know, thought golf was probably the way to go. Um, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, but no, like you, you just, you have to love it. If you don't love it, you, you just, you're not, it's not going to work. Um, and I think me playing baseball and all these other sports really showed me like which sport I love the most and it's, it's golf. So what is it that, I think everybody answers this question differently since you kind of brought it up. Like, what is it that you love about the game? I love that it's hard. We like, had a, we had I a love whole that podcast it's a challenge. We had like, a whole podcast yeah. on like, what's your why? Yeah, like why, why do you play this game? Like what, what makes you want to run 1.8 miles to the gym and then come back? Okay, why, you that, that story from Curl? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, you know, I think in every sport, really, there is, you can perfect it. You can throw a no-hitter. You can shut a team out in football. You can shoot 12 for 12 in basketball. You can't perfect golf. It's impossible. Um, and I think that gives me something to, you know, kind of keep pushing. And there's a lot of sports that, you know, you're kind of competing against somebody or it's a one-on-one -on -one for tennis or for swimming. Um, I think swimming is probably one of the only other sports. But it's really just you. Like you're doing the best you can do to compete against everybody else's. And I think when you win, it gives you that satisfaction of I won. Nobody else did it for me. Um, and that I, is, that is wild. Cause like in every other sport you can be like, well, that's, that's good enough. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, Titans beating the Seahawks this year by, you know, in overtime by like, that was good enough. Like they didn't have their best stuff. It was good enough. Like, I don't know. Golf is, is a game where like Scott and I talk about this all the time where you, you just flat out get exposed in yeah. everything that you do. Yep. And it like, it, 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 uh, <laughs> it challenges you to really be the best and not just good enough. You know, like, Oh, this, uh, this football team's going to go eight and eight and somehow make the playoffs. Like, it's just. You can't. That doesn't happen in golf. No, it, it doesn't. Um, and even in Tiger's winningest year, like he didn't win every. It's like twenty two percent or something. Yeah, and that Which was is with, incredible. <laughs> that was with winning like eight or nine times in a row or whatever. <laughs> right, yeah. right, something insane. So, but like, so Jack played in his first individual tournament in the club championship this last weekend, and he's like, dude, I normal normally handle these like mentally. I'm usually more tough than this. 
and able to kind of overcome a number of bad holes and like couldn't get out of that. And I said, golf's a different, like in baseball, you get to go sit in the dugout. You get to, get, you know, maybe you str- struggled batting, but you do great on the field. Like redemption. You, yeah. Yeah. You have this like come and go in basketball. You can sit in football. You can run different plays. Like you can move around weaknesses in golf. There's no, there's no break. There's nobody to hide behind him. No. And in a tournament like that, you're so you're exposed. Like it's it's like that dream that nobody likes having, where it's like you run around naked and you're like, I can't hide, right? Like yep. there's golf does that to you. So how do you handle that? One, I think success starts small. Like you have small successes along the way mm-hmm. that build the bigger ones. But like for you, like how do you handle failure? Like. I don't even, well, it's not even failure. It's just like you got beat sometimes. How do you handle those incredibly tough situations where the average Joe would just absolutely crash and burn? Well, I think everybody that's played golf has been there where, you know, you really would just want to punch something as hard as you, as hard as you can. Um, and you can't do that. And the more mad you get, the worse you're going to play. Um, and I think it's time after time of me, you know, I don't think nobody, you know, everybody tells you like you can't get mad. Like, but I think it took enough realization for me to like, okay, this doesn't actually help me to get mad. Um, and enough times you have, you where have to put yourself there enough times to I've, screw it up. I've, you can say failed, not succeeded. I've done that so many times because I've gotten mad or, and it's just, I've done it enough times where it's, it's not worth it for me. Nick was pretty fiery as a kid. It's, I still is. You just have more control over the, you have, you're emotionally able to regulate it better than you were at a younger age. Mm-hmm. Like um, when we look into the psychology of it, you have the limbic system versus the frontal lobe. And like, as you get older, you move from that. You should anyway, move from that. Like the emotions running the show to letting, okay, I'm frustrated. I'm going to then use logic and be an adult and move past that. And that's just have to do it by doing it you know i i think one of the only guys that have has told me this and i actually liked it a lot was the arizona state coach name's matt thurman um you know he's one of the only guys that says you know i like people that get mad i'm like hmm, i didn't really i it's the first time i've heard somebody say that and he's like it shows me a you care and b if you learn how to kind of control that you can really use that as your advantage and that's kind of you know that's what tiger did um can you take us through a moment in like the in the junior amateur when um it's match play, mm-hmm. correct? So, can you take me through a moment where, like, you're battling, you're battling a guy one on one, and maybe you have a stroke of like, you know, two or three shots that you're like, man, that could have been way better. And how, like, you mentally kind of got on, got on top of the bubble and ended up, you know, obviously winning. And how did that, uh, how did that like affect you? And what were like the, the thought processes around that? Um, you know, I think on a week like that, and that's what makes Tigers run so like I can't even begin to fathom it it's unbelievable um you play 36 holes of stroke play and then you play i think six matches um so that's a grind it's a lot of golf that's so much golf <laughs> at like incredibly high level of focus with it's, no breaks it's like, a lot of golf it's insane um and i think there's obviously if you play that much golf and that many rounds of golf there become times where you get frustrated and ticked off and um and there's matches where i think you need a little bit of luck you have to have it um, and I went, I think it was the round of 16. It was one of the evening matches. The kid had like nine and a half feet, like straight up the hill to beat me and missed. And, you know, I think you need those kind of breaks and that kind of, you know, a little bit of luck. 
He probably didn't hit the uh, the BPN there, Scott. Uh, no, no. Oh, yeah, I couldn't watch. <laughs> no, but like in that, it is a little bit of luck, but you put yourself close enough to be there. Yep, mm-hmm. exactly. Like if you had been two back, it matches over at that point. Like mm-hmm. you put yourself in a position to get that break when you needed it. Like yep. you just, and, and really any tournament, like it's, it doesn't matter how big a tournament is. It's all in your brain, how you think about it. Um, it's still golf, you know, you've practiced it you've hit a thousand four footers, you've hit a thousand drives. It's just, you know, you just have to get in your own, your own brain. I bet it's tough seeing the same course over and over and over and over again too. Some of the harder shots it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you don't like a drive and you got to see it eight times, it's not the easiest, but right. And even like being out here on the home course all the time, you're like, I know what a perfect shot looks like. And I've hit that perfect shot. And you have to realize that like golf is not a game of perfection mm-hmm. and you're not going to see that shot. And so like what's really been helping me recently is I've been saying like visualize and execute kind of thing where it's like, it doesn't have to necessarily be the best shot, but it has to be like, you know, within a 25% dispersion of the best shot. But it's tough when I think you see like, and we were talking about this when I played Harpeth Hills the other day, sometimes seeing a new course can be so fresh that it almost is, is liberating. It's liberating to like, Oh, I can actually hit this shot when I need to, rather than being like, Oh, I can visualize a, a perfect ground in my head at my home course. Well, I think something that helped me, you know, my caddy's name's Jeff Curley, played on tour for, played the Corn Ferry Tour off and on for like 12 years in status for eight, I think. Um, he kept telling me down the stretch, and you know, when you get nervous, you think you have to do something perfect. Um, and he kept telling me, he's like, man, it does not take a perfect golf shot. It does not take a perfect putt. And I think it just kind of frees you up a little bit. Totally. Um, and that's something that really helped me. So I still want to circle back to like, what is a, like, when you're practicing in the summer, what does a week look like for you? <laughs> um, Pay attention, you, all you, you junior golfers out, out like there. You work out a good bit, right? Mm-hmm. When did you start working out? 14? I think when I moved to Greenville. So 14, 15. 14. 14. Um, I just, you know, I felt like I got a gift from God. I really did. Um, and I've seen a lot of people that have kind of thrown that away by some of their actions and how they kind of do what they do. And that's when I made the decision of I'm going to do everything I can to make myself as good as possible. That's incredible. So what does a week look like? Um, like wake up Monday morning. I'm, like I'm up, I'm up every morning before seven. Um, sometimes six 15, I'll go on the run in the morning. Um, it kind of depends when I play golf, I'll do a quick workout, go practice all day, I guess. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'll try to fit in school last and that's probably not what we're supposed to do, but that's kind of, well, so this has been, this is actually a fun conversation for me. So there's this idea of like balance, like what, if you want to be exceptional at something and be great at something, you have a passion for it. You you can't have balance. Like you got to do well enough in your school so that you can keep your grades up and that's going to go because if something happens to you physically, you know, more, hopefully that never happens. But like if something happens, you want your education. You've got to be good enough there. But like, I've I've told parents and kids like, when it's daylight, you're practicing. I'm sorry. Well, I got a lot of homework. Well, you can do that when when it's dark. Scott, That's, even I, referencing I, a oh sorry, yeah. go for no, it. you're good. Uh, I said, good. <laughs> back and forth that's what know. happens here we'll let it go uh we're even like gary v referencing gary v yeah he's I, talking I about like he's talking about it, just schooling he goes if you're like a purebred entrepreneur all you got to do is just like and all you parents out there close your ears 
All you got to do is just. <laughs> what about the kids? All you got to do, and I guess, and the kids too. All you got to do is just get through school. Just get, just get through it, and keep on, and do what, do what you're doing. Um, I mean, even like now that I've been out of school for a few years now, I'm starting to realize that like, yes, school is so fundamental to like what you have to do. But if you really are talented at one thing, you got to put all your eggs in one basket and kind of go for it. Well, and it's not just with a sport, like sports, like hyper-focused right now, but like if the kid starts falling in love with engineering, like let them grab all the engineering books from the library. Yeah. Like, yeah. Let them study a ton of engineering. Like that's their thing. They still have to do good in English and their other classes they yeah. don't like taking, but like, yeah. I'm not saying get C's. It's not at all. Like no. you can get, it's not that hard to get A's in today's, the way education works. I've no. done a ton of tutoring. A's is not that hard. B's is definitely feasible for just about anybody. But like the, while it's daylight, golf, like that's the time to practice. Like, yeah. and you know, for not like basketball, you can go for, at night for the parents. I take all AP and honors or whatever. Nice like, note. I, <laughs> and my, my mom, my mom makes me, you know, she makes me do school and I, I don't really like doing it, but, um, and you know, in the summer days where I'll practice from seven to when it's 114 out and then I'll do school. Then once it starts cooling down, then I'll play golf again. Um, and it can be the same thing, you know, when it gets cold, you, if it's, I don't like practicing when it's 40 degrees, I hate it. Um, and I'll wait till it gets to 50 degrees. I'll do school then and then practice and, you know, do school kind of, School's been second to me for a while. Yeah. I, I want to throw well, a quick. Uh, I want to throw a quick caveat on my on my school uh, statement. <laughs> yeah, you better. When I, when I say get through, I don't. I mean that like do well, but you don't have to get straight A's in everything that you're doing. Right. Yeah, it, like, there you yeah. go. That's all I had to say. <laughs> no, but like. No, yeah. no, thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all week. Thank you. Right. Thank you. But <laughs> but there's this there's this notion of like. Well, that's a lot of time. Like, how's my kid gonna get that? It's like my kid's staying up till one o'clock. If you're not staying up with, if you're staying up with your kid till one o'clock, or they're staying up till one o'clock, I can tell you they're doing more than just their schoolwork. So, like, yeah. the discipline that's required in golf, especially more than any other sport, it requires more time out of you than any other sport, hands down, not even close. Like, when you go to a tournament, you travel on a lot of tournaments now are Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Monday, Tuesday. So you leave on. Sometimes you leave on Friday. Uh, to get to where you're going, you have a practice round Saturday, maybe Sunday. Uh, then you have, or if you don't have a practice round Sunday, you have a match Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Then you travel back, you've got school. You will miss more school in golf than you will miss in any other sport, period, in college. So the ability to have the discipline to practice when it's daylight and study when it's not is an incredibly important skill set. And it's it's learned like he doesn't like school most of your kids will raise their hand and go i don't like school like they like the social aspect of it but they don't like all the work that comes along with it plus the other thing i like from school you learn some critical thinking stuff especially in some of your 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 math and sciences that you get um and so those critical thinking skills help you make better decisions when you're playing as well so and not even just playing like you going to school gives you that ability to uh be good at whatever you're passionate about, right? Like I wouldn't be able to sit here and engineer this podcast if I didn't go to school, right? Like it's the same, right? They're just, it's just building blocks. Yeah. It's, it's, um, putting the discipline in to, to do what you need to, like, there's plenty of time in a day. Like we can sit here, you can tell me how hard your schedule is and how difficult it is. And I can sit up on a, on a whiteboard, um, and write out, there's way more time than you think. 
you're wasting it. It's what humans do. Like you mentioned, like not wasting the talent that you have, which I think is incredible. But I had the privilege of at Ohio Wesleyan where I was, we have the winningest uh, soccer coach uh, in the world. Um, and he did this thing where he put 24 at the top of a board and he said, you guys said there's not enough time? Watch. <laughs> and like, you're like, oh man, I'm wasting so much time. Well, I, I, <laughs> I, so think, it, I think it, you know, Especially when you practice, it's like, I'm going to hit five balls and I'm going to get on my phone and, you know, text somebody. Or I'm going to do school, I'll do this, and then I'll Snapchat somebody. If you just add that up, the amount of time that you actually had, and it's mm. way more than you think. Yeah. And so it's having that discipline to separate that. And when you have a passion for it, it makes it easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm guessing you've had moments where you don't want to practice. And I, you know, there's times where, you know, I'll, I'll put the clubs down for a month or from, you know, from October to January. I like hunting. I like being outdoors. You know, I like watching the sun go up and the sun go down. And I just, you know, I don't think if you don't love it, then A, you're not really going to practice. You're, it's like, it's just, it becomes a repetition instead of you actually having fun doing it. Um, and I think, you know, there's obviously times where in the summer where, hey, I really need to go putt for 40 minutes ending my, you know, session. Um, but when there's four times... Four hours. Four <laughs> hours. There you go. Um, but, you know, there's also there's also actually work when, you know, you know what you're doing and then it's work where it's just busy work. Um, and I think, you know, last year I've really kind of narrowed it down to what I need to be working on and kind of the, you know, what I need to have for each part of my game to, to play well. What's a way that, um, well, you can talk about in golf, and maybe this is like more of an overarching statement, to avoid that burnout or to get back in after the burnout, per se. Not force yourself to play. Bam. Um, I, if I don't want to I'll go fish. Go like do something. I mean, don't sit there and be bored. But I feel like we're talking to you like you're this, like, you know, golf like savant and like in in ways that you actually you definitely are but i think when people think of people who like you know like the elon musk of the world or the the jeff bezos is like i I think that people think that you know all they do all day is you know tesla and amazon it's like no like in reality like not really they still are passionate about other things in their life it's just not as public per se mm-hmm. and like where you have this like perception of you know being this golf guy doesn't necessarily mean you're doing that 24 7 365 mm-hmm. notice the other thing that nick said that i think is really subtle is he didn't say like yeah i'm just gonna sit on sit on my butt and watch tv for two months yeah i don't like, i don't mean that <laughs> no and because that actually disengages you you're like you're doing things that keep you engaged that kind of give you uh they're fulfilling like sitting in front of a tv isn't it's not that you shouldn't do it but like that's what people think time off oh i don't have to do anything it's like i'm guessing you're still working out oh yeah yeah so still working out five six days seven days a week and then i i just i thoroughly enjoy being out in the woods i really do and it just it takes my mind off everything and i can just kind of enjoy it two more questions before we go into our are we gonna do a q a yeah, we'll do a short Q&A. A short one? Yeah. Okay. Maybe we'll combine it. Are you okay doing a Q&A? Uh, sure. Yeah, of course. Sweet. Um, He's like, those are my favorites. <laughs> I know. Those, those, are, those are a blast. Um, I'll, um, uh, what question? I had a question earlier. Do you have one, Jack? I'll say this. What is, 
what are you most looking forward to going to college and playing D1 golf? And and Scott mentioned to me that, uh, you know, this may be true, this may be not, that you want to stay for four years for the whole time. I, I think with this new PGA Tour University, um, for those of you that don't know... Um, I don't even know what that is, so You don't? Ahead. No. Um, so... Me. So kind of what it does, it's got this ranking system, and you have to. It's either for two years or four years, um, and if you're ranked in the top five of this PJ Tour University, it'll give you full status on the mini tour. That's awesome. That's cool. We talked and about trying to find ways to get guys out there without the dollars yeah. that don't have the dollars. That's yeah. huge. I like and, that. Uh, and you know, if I don't achieve that after two years, I'll probably stay four because it, it doesn't work in three or one or the, your first year or third year. Um, so it just kind of, I mean, second year, if you have full status on the mini tour, it's hard not to take that. Why would you not at least try? Exactly. And I bet there's, I, and you, you don't have to say or not, but from what I know too about um, some pro in college, you know, contracts and signings, I know this from one of my buddies who went and played in the in the league in the in Major League Baseball, is that if you go play on like, if you make it to the show. Sometimes there's a there's a, uh, a a little caveat in the contract saying if I decide to go play, you still owe me a four year education at this school. So I know that's how sometimes it works for for major league contracts. I don't have nothing about that for golf, but I think that's a really cool caveat for baseball. Well, I, I think I think what's we've talked about this when we had Ryan French on the podcast, the Monday Q Info guy. Um, oh, that's kind of neat. Yeah, we had him so on. That cool, was a lot man. of fun. So neat. talking about the process of getting out there on the tour. Uh, but we talked about, like, how do we fix this system? Because there are guys that are in the top five, top ten in the in the nation that don't have the dollars. And you don't see them again. And you don't mm. see them because they – It's order, expensive. In or, it's expensive. And even if you do get the dollars, let's assume that you get the dollars and you have the dollars to go to Q school. You have to go to pre-qualifying, assuming you have to go to that. So you have to – play well enough on pre-qualifying to make the top 25 out of that and move on then you have to do stage one move on stage two move on and then you have stage three in order to advance so you get some status once you get to stage three but not not a lot unless you play well all Um, that while sharing a hotel room with six people or sleeping in your car or whatever yeah and so you have to play well on the exact right week it's like it's like winning top tenning in the four major championships like it's hard hard to do and so this gives guys it's based on an average for the entire year so it's based on how good are you not how many dollars do you have correct which i think is is a nice shift and i'm really excited to hear about that that's huge so what are you looking forward to about college golf what was like the biggest thing that stood out in your visit what are you looking forward to the most you know i would say i'm i'm fortunate enough to play with a lot of the alums down in birmingham um, and, uh, you know, Coach Sewell, he's churned out a lot of tour stars. Obviously, your JTs and your guys like that. Um, and to get under somebody that's done that and, you know, has, has you know, transformed players from high school and college to winning majors. Proven success. Um, I, I, you know, I think I'm, I'm pumped to, you know, get in that atmosphere, have the guys around me push me. We can work together as good as, good as we can and, you know, see where that takes us. And then uh, what's your one, like, cool thing that you're looking forward to about the facility? Uh, the Bama facility? Yeah. Um, I the, That little wedge facility they have back there, you can hit anywhere from a 7-iron to a L wedge. 
they've got pins, greens, little bunkers you can hit into. You can kind of hit every which direction. And, That's really um, cool. I love it. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot. Brooksy, listen up. No, I'm kidding. I have have two questions to hit you with. It's basically the same question, but it's going to be advice in two different directions. I'm going to give you the first one. This is the easy one. What advice would you give to any junior golfer that's, let's just say, trying to get to play college golf? Mm -hmm. Not every kid wants to play the PGA Tour. Not every kid's going to be able to. What's one piece of advice you would give them, understanding they may not all have the same access to facilities, et cetera? Like, what would you give them? Um, I, you know, I think it goes back to the, you know, the passion for the game. Um, I, you know, when I grew up in Birmingham, I kind of had everything with Greystone. It's one of the best facilities in the state, one of the best golf courses. And, you know, and then I moved to South Carolina and I didn't really have much, to be honest with you. Um, and my passion really didn't change. You know, I think it's a lot easier to practice if you have all of that in front of you. Um, whereas, you know, I've known people that have grown up on a farm and they just put a flag stick in the ground and start hitting. Um, and, you know, I think if you really love it, you, you can you know, use your imagination. You know, you can figure it out. Um, that's that's kind of all I got for okay. that one. Like, So I'm going to pose the next question, and then I'm going to give some filler time for you to answer it. Okay. Um, what advice would you give to parents of junior golfers. Now, I'm asking a 17-year-old kid to give parenting advice, but the reason why I'm doing this is some of the most profound things that I've learned as a teacher and a coach is actually from my junior golfers, whether that be seven, 10, 15, 18 years old. I've learned a ton of stuff. Uh, One of my biggest teaching, like instructing moments, like technique, was actually from Erica, who worked for me the last two summers, but her first summer here, I did all these 15-minute evals, and we're about 40 or 50 of them through. And she's like, it's amazing to me that people can hit it at their target and not be anywhere lined up according to that. And, and she was falling in line with one of my teaching philosophies, which is the setup almost always follows the swing until you get to this level, to Nick's level. And so at Nick's level, like you can make tiny adjustments in the setup and it fix everything. But as somebody's growing and developing, like instructors want to just jump into like fixing technique first or fixing setup first. It's like, well, in five swings, because her technique's so bad, their setup's gonna adjust to get the ball go at the target. So I always go for the, but she was seeing things that most golf instructors never see, ever. They'll teach for 40, 50 years and they'll never see it, which was really cool. So like for me to learn that from a freshman in college, still a teenager, that's why I wanted to ask that question because there's, I think there's something you probably have to say. Well, let me let me say this before you before you answer too. I'm gonna <laughs> we're giving you a lot of time. I'm gonna simplify it for all the parents out here. Parents, you literally have the ideal kid here, the kid that's made it out, the kid that's got the college offer, the kid who has you know all the potential in the world. Like, why wouldn't you want to listen to a guy who is the ideal kid to what you want your kids to potentially be if they want to play correct. collegiately correct. right if they correct. want to have a lot of success he's he's done all that correct so, correct yeah. um you know i i think it goes back to you know learn your fundamentals and stick with them i think that's something that hank did a great job with me on um he taught me these fundamentals he and, you know as you go through growth spurts you know there's probably times where i shot up two inches from seeing you from time to time um and keeping that in check really helped me out but you know my mom and dad don't play um i think they've done a great job of you know first of all to play the sport you got to learn to be alone um and you have to you have to enjoy being alone um and i think 
you know, eight out of the six weeks I was on the road on this summer by myself. Went from Chicago, New York, North Carolina, South Carolina, Florida. I was by, I was by myself. Um, and I think, you know, me figuring that out for myself has helped me a lot. Um, not only to mature, but to just kind of realize who I am and, you know, kind of figure out, you know, you run into problems. I've missed flights, you know, you got to <laughs> figure it out. Um, but I would say, you know, kind of try to find an instructor like Scott. Scott's been great. Um, he helped me a lot and just kind of let them grow let them figure it out for themselves nick's giving me more credit than i do no i'm really not i'm not at all uh it was great to be a part of his growth and development and uh i remember a putting lesson at at the legacy one time i i have that in the back of my head that i remember at the legacy golf course at graystone but um can you see why i ask i learn stuff from kids like i've never had it said that way i've been doing this for 11 years and he said you have to learn and love being alone like you have to learn how to be alone and have the discipline to work and all that and it's like i'm so totally gonna use that like i've already got like two or three situations in my head i'm going i'm gonna use it there there and there uh so nick thanks for being on the podcast we're gonna do thank you a shorter q a after um but i appreciate that's great congrats on your win uh that's probably the biggest it's the biggest junior tournament you can win it so, is. It is. Congrats! Man. It quite literally is. Scott. Yeah, I know it is. You can't win anything bigger. So, We're and he's going to the U.S. Open next year because of that. So, I am. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, Nick, thanks for being on the podcast. Do you wanna? Do you wanna? Do you have anything to plug? Anything to plug at all? Your Instagram? Uh, anything that you're gonna be doing here in the next couple weeks, months, years? Um, Instagram, Nick Dunlap ten, and love it. Roll Tide. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to wrap up here on the back porch of the Franklin Bridge. We are going to have a quick one song break, and then we're going to come back with another uh, short Q&A, but it's probably going to turn into more information based on the questions that we get. So, first question, who wants it? An opportunity of a lifetime. Come on up, man. Get close to this microphone. Um... Um, what do you think the most important, like, club in the game is? Important club in the game. Hmm. I would say it's got to be the putter. It's what everybody says, but, you know, there become weeks where, you know, you're, I say you're driving it really well, or you're hitting your irons really well. Um, that's when you win. Um, and I think your putter, they say the putter is the equalizer for a reason. Um, and it really is. Um, there's that's correct. There's so many different ways to make a par and a birdie, um, and there's only one really one way to get in the hole, and that's to put it in the hole. Um, so I, I, that that would be my answer to that. Okay. It's a good question, though. Really great question. Who's next? Come While we're on. filling time here, I feel like we always talk about like, you know, how to hit your wedges better, how to hit your irons better, how to drive the ball. We talk about the putter a lot, but I feel like it's one of those things where it's like it's so common that like people don't feel like they need to practice it as much. When in reality, it's the thing you need it's to practice. The thing all to the practice, time. it is. Yeah. All right. Um, Say your name. I'm Daniel. Daniel Schust, and I'm curious how practicing on a mat affects your game differently than on a range with like turf, grass, dirt. 
you guys have mats here? Just when it gets like when it gets wet, yeah. yeah too wet to hit um, that's a great question. I, I know, but you probably need to know this. You I, you've done it on both because you have, had a. I have. Um, I'm not sure if some people are gonna like this or not. That's actually I have right now. I have a. My bad. I have a. Uh, I have inflammation and tendonitis and carpal tunnel in my wrist, and that's why from hitting off mats. Um, so for my answer, it would be no for that. Um, but then again, some people have to if you're, if you're you know, from the north or, you know, like I said, it's really cold. How is it um, different? Explain. I, I think it's a kind of common sense, but like from your from your perspective, how is it different? I think that's another part of what I you're just, trying to ask. I think you can kind of fake it off the mat. Yeah. Um, I think if you're hitting off grass, it gives you that real kind of turf interaction, um, what, what actually the ball is going to do. Um, you know, off a lot of people you like to use track man or like a distance finding thing off mats and it's different. The ball reacts it different. Is. It is. And when the club interacts with turf, the ball flight is different. It's not always exactly the Correct. same. And so like one of the best things we had at Greystones, we had the TaylorMade Performance Lab with mm-hmm. Tim Breon running that who's now Gosh, part of right. True so long ago. Yeah, with the part of who's he's now a part of TruSpec and their whole big fitting system. The problem with those systems um, and uh, what's the other big one right now? Uh, the other big fitting um, crud. Out there? What are you trying to say? No, what, what I'm trying to say, like it's places that just do fitting oh, indoors. Like golf, golf tech but or you have golf, golf tech, champion. you have a club champion. Like club you, champion, you hit you indoors go. and it's just different. I promise you it's different. And Hank was mm-hmm. adamant about that. And like there's, there's a misunderstanding in the public. Like you can go get fit there, but I always have them ask me. I'm like, yeah. It just doesn't seem right. I've got another and thing too is that um, we talk so much on this podcast about feels, right? About feels, feels, feels. Like it seems like it's literally in every single conversation that we have on this podcast. It's where if you're hitting off a mat, like Nick was saying, you can fake it. That club, you could, like what really would have been a duff and that ball would have gone five feet. It just bounces off the turf, hits the ball and, and goes like, you know, 85, 90% of what you would have hit it if you hit it clean. And so like, if you're trying to hone your feels and become a better player, I don't think you need to be hitting off mats, period. No, and, and I think there's times where, you know, hitting into a, like hitting off a mat into a net helps. Like right. if you're trying to work on something you're swing, I get that, I've done right. that a lot. Um, but I think if you're if you're preparing for something, and I think it's, you know, now there's times where you, you're forced to, but I think it's some of the worst prep you can get. Yeah, and so to finish up my thought on the Tetherman Performance Lab, is like you start inside. Oh, right. We had to go back you to do a full, So it's a, you have a 3D bodysuit on. There's sensors on the club, and it outputs a, a best fit for your golf swing profile. And then Tim would then take you down on the range afterward and confirm or adjust off of that. Mm. And it was almost never the same fit as it was inside. Yeah. Almost never. And Tim's That's a right. Tim's in a world class fitter. He's a fantastic fitter. And he will tell you that it's not getting like it's not the same off the mat. So mm-hmm. do it when you have to. Uh, you know, get creative like earlier in the first podcast, like get creative, find a way to practice. But you really want to try and minimize how much of that you do when possible. Mm-hmm. I think too, we talked so much about uh get off the range, right? Where it's like if you're <laughs> if you sit on the range in one bay or off a mat all the time, like you're obviously not gonna uh you know, find your, your true golf swing, figure out how to get out of stuff and, and you know, be the best golfer you can. Sorry, we got a question up here. Go for it. He gave it to me. Anyway, you asked a question earlier, what is your favorite part of golf? To me, my favorite part of golf is truly a beautiful golf ball flight. 
mm-hmm. seeing somebody hit it is amazing. I don't care if it's me or anybody. When you get to your level, do you still get excited about it? And then oh, yeah. And then when you're watching, playing your buddies or in a tournament, and they hit one, and do you ever just go, oh, wow? I think... Do you y- lose that? I, you know, that's, that's a great question. Um, I actually realized it, you know, playing with a lot of good players, you kind of... You don't really see your own ball flight. Like, I hate to say it, but, like, it kind of gets, like... I'm not going to say bored, but you see it so much, it like nothing really like kind of surprises you, if that makes sense. Um, and I think if once you see somebody, it's kind of weird. Once you see somebody else hit it, you're like, man, that was really good. But even if you don't do it, it's like, I, I don't know. Like, I, like I, that's, I've done it. Like, that's kind of how I hit it, whether it's, you know, not very good, bad, good. And it's just, if you do it so much, I hate to say it doesn't surprise you, but it's like, just kind of you see nah. the same stuff over and over yeah. and over again and it gets kind of repetition but you like, still love the sport and love right. the Correct. game and everything Correct. that's with it like you enjoy hitting those shots it's just like your recognition of it and the surprise maybe drops a little bit but you get to like when you're playing with great players like during the course of 18 holes like getting to be around guys like nick and uh michael johnson mm-hmm. and uh jake mondy and uh, lee williams will claxton some of those guys it's like do any of you ever hit a bad shot? But there, but there are shots during that 18 holes where each player will hit more than one exceptional shot, mm-hmm. and the rest of the group recognizes it. You Correct. always want to like the way that we've been conditioned to watch golf too is very not like the real thing. I guess I'll say like you always want to be standing there on like an 80 80 yard wedge shot and watch that ball like rip back towards the hole. But you you never really get to see that from your perspective and like where you're actually standing on the golf course. And so I feel like every time we watch golf, it's always fun and exciting cuz we're literally on that journey with the golf ball, but not with the guy that's actually hitting it and being like is did that go in? Like is that right there? Like no, what? but I think to answer that question a little bit more, something I've done is I'll go out and play with three clubs. Um, and I love being creative. I like, you know, back to the mechanical stuff. I don't like, I like practicing, don't get me wrong, but it's kind of what we used to do when we were younger. We try to play as many holes as we possibly could before the sun went down. This is like, this is the thing. <laughs> like, there are kids that and spend a ton of time on the driving range. I had a kid this summer that spent 90, more than 90% of his time was driving range time. He was struggling on the golf course. He was really good as a junior golfer. And I turned it, I told him, I said, you're going to play 140 holes a week. Yeah. And he was like, what? And he won the regional tournament and then went to state and finished in the top 10. Like, this is a kid who hadn't won tournaments in two or three years. And I picked him up this summer. It's like, get off the driving range. Like, even pros, like, get stuck on that driving range trying mm-hmm. to perfect it. It's like, you have, to, you have to hit shots, yep. not swing. Yep. And, uh, I like what you said about the three-club thing. I, I think that's, you know, you'll hit a couple of shots. Let's say you hit a 9-iron 120 yards. Sometimes you have to hit a 9-iron, like, 70 and yep. it's like a front pin you got to figure a way to get it close and sometimes you have to try to you know hook it or get it to go 140 and i think to answer your question that kind of gives me a little bit of satisfaction it's like man that was like if you hit a seven iron like 80 yards man that's kind of good like, yeah <laughs> you can kind of you know hit one close from with a when you're not supposed to so the question like I, people go like well, when am i ever going to need that i was like oh you're going to need it oh you'll need it you'll need it there will be a time where you'll need it and you look at these shots that these tour players hit from like under the trees that run up mm-hmm. and like chase and curve on the green you can't learn that on a driving range no nope. you just can't and you have to develop that by feel i'm not saying that i'm any nick dunlap here but 
I no, was. No, but uh, you have you have an amateur perspective based on. It's one of the reasons why you've gotten good so fast. Well, what I was going to say is that I, when I was playing at Harpeth Hills uh, the other day with one of my buddies, he hit this drive that was uh, it was actually on uh, what we started on. So we finished on nine, right? And so, uh, do you have nine in your head by chance right now? So he hit it on the right side of the fairway, right behind a tree. And that uh, that that fairway slash green complex is you know tilted up to the top, you know from top to bottom, left to right. And uh, he was hit behind it. She's like, dude, how am I going to do this? And I was like, watch this. <laughs> And I took a five iron out of the bag and we were like, you know, we were probably 120 yards and I hit this thing that, you know, this nice cut kind of like wedge five iron that like sliced almost around that complex landed right up and rolled onto the green and he's like dude how'd you do that and I'm like he's like that's something you and he literally said you can't do that on a range and I'm like bingo (laughs) well well, to that it's like if you really think about it if you go hit 100 balls all of them are going to be full they're all going to be full nine irons yep you go to the golf course how many really or smooth full numbers do you get almost never never Never. like they're almost never flat lies they're never like you just that's why i think practicing is great don't get me wrong but i think you just get you have to get out there and just kind of you know feel it out and you're still paying attention to your fundamentals you don't just let them Correct. go to garbage Correct. like your your core movement stays in there but you have to figure out how to shape shots and players go watch well, it uh, i just didn't hit enough fairways and greens i was like well I, I didn't have enough fairways so i couldn't hit enough greens i was like you don't have enough other shots yeah you can't play the game with one shot or two shots you too many have people are scared 200. to trust their body too like for well example, they don't have fundamentals like that's yeah. Or they have a set of fundamentals that doesn't fit their body type. Mm. Like there are certain idiosyncrasies about Nick's swing, and we talk about Austin on the podcast and Elijah. Yeah. Like they have idiosyncrasies that aren't the same. Like Elijah's swing isn't going to look like uh, Nick's. Nick's is going to look like Austin's. Like there's not, there's no Your continuity there. And so if you don't have your set of fundamentals, like if Nick tries to swing like Elijah or vice versa, we're not going to get the same outcome. No. We're not going to get the best outcome for that player. And I think that's one of the things I learned so well from Hank was like, I remember when he was teaching Vasily Kartos and we were doing a wedge lesson and Hank turned to me before he did this. He said, don't listen to anything I'm about to say. It doesn't fit any of the fundamentals that we ever teach. (laughs) And I almost never teach this, but he taught Vasily this little soft wedge shot that was unique and Vasily had a very different style swing in a golf club and an excellent player. Can you talk about from Shout a teaching standpoint? I know. Talk about from a teaching standpoint, like for example, you'll let me kind of like fiddle with a few things yeah. in my swing and I, I guarantee you you would do the same for Nick. But talk about like what constitutes somebody to be able to play around with a set of fundamentals that you've given them as somebody who is your student. Well that that did depends on the person's both physical ability and awareness you don't just have to have physical ability you have to be aware of what your body's doing and i'm also playing jack the way i like to play athletes is I'm gonna use another hank since nick's here but he calls it guided discovery when i lead when i kind of give you a couple different parameters and you play around with it you're i know what parameters i'm giving you and I know you're going to play around within those lines and you're going to find the one that works for you. And it's almost always going to be the one I wanted you to do anyway, uh, but you're going to own it oh, instead of God, it being mine. It. Yeah. yeah. I watched him change a young man's grip. Uh, and I've done this with one of my players where the kid's grip was like way too strong and 
Hank set him up beside a box and like he's like don't hook it he's like what do you mean don't hook it and don't hit the box the kid smashes the box in like the first 10 swings <laughs> Hank's like miss the box so he starts missing the box it's his pull hook into the crap at Greystone Founders into that the weeds yeah. on the left and keep watching he's like come on pull cut it pull cut it pull cut it and he finally changed it at the end of the lesson Hank said Once we were down the line the whole time he said go around and look at his grip and he whispered this to me so I walk around the kid changed his grip he had been to three different teachers who had tried to change his grip he's like and he showed up to the lesson and said I'm not going to change my grip everybody's tried to change my grip I can't change my grip he comes back two weeks later for his second lesson and he said Everybody's been asking me if I've changed my grip. I'm like, no, I haven't changed my grip. <laughs> to this day, that kid has no idea what that happened? he's ever changed his grip. And I've done that with one other elite-level player. And there's somebody in the audience who knows who that is. Um, but, like, it's that's the style of teaching that I learned under. And it's way better than just tech. That's exactly how I play. If I'm, that it's, it's, I, it's identical. I, I always try to hit golf shots to fix my golf swing. That's how I've always done it. And I just, I think that's, that's what you have to do. Well, you, what, we talk about this too on the podcast where you'll, you'll go to your most dominant habit, mm-hmm. right? Under pressure. Mm-hmm. And so by you saying that you'll go to hit shots to fix your golf swing, you just have that insane awareness of your body, but also that that time-tested ability to rely on your fundamentals to the point where you playing, just like playing and trying to hit wild shots, actually fixes you better than anybody else could. Yep. But that's something that nobody else can do. You just, you just, you just learn your own game. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I think that's gotten lost. It does. What's going on? Uh, I'm Brady, and uh, I just wanted to know if what age do you think would be the right age for juniors to start reaching out to college coaches or contacting programs? That's a good question. It's, uh, how old are you? I'm 13. 13? Honestly, I... What do you shoot? Uh, I shoot probably mid-70s. Mid That's mid awesome. High 70s. That's awesome. And you have so much time to develop and grow, it's not even funny. Um, <laughs> but I, I would say... You almost have to learn to like having eyes on you um, and just say, hey, like, reach out. When you're a freshman, reach out now. I don't think there's really a time where you can reach out too young, to be honest with you. Um, I just think, say, hey, send them your schedule. Hey, I'm playing this and let them watch you. Let them, you know, see what you shoot, you know. And, you know, I just, like I said, they know that you're young and they know you have a lot of developed time still. But, you know, just to have them understand and recognize your name, where if you do win some, say, hey, this kid reached out when he was a freshman. Let's go watch him. Um, and I think that's, you know, as early as possible to answer your question. Yeah. So um, we actually had um, the only person I trust to help with kids recruiting across the country. It's a lady by the name of uh, Ginger Brown. She was the Mississippi State. Uh, women's head coach took a program from 160th the first in three years another one of our cool guests yeah so she was on episodes 128 and 129 of the podcast go in and listen to that the champions Uh, playbook the champions playbook yep um go in and listen to both those episodes well that'll get you connected to her she she said basically the same thing nick did but you need somebody that knows what they're doing um and you basically have to cast a very wide net like keep in mind you're going against kids like this kid and you're not just going against kid, kids like Nick from the United States. You're going from Europe, Asia, Australia. Like you're going from all of the big South America. Like 
they're from everywhere. And so you've got to have some strategic options. Don't get stuck like, I got to go to a big school. Well, you need to spread a very, very wide net and no, just listen to that podcast. Both of those are wonderful. I, I think do do that. I agree with that. But also, you know, if you do have a dream school, use that to motivate you. Um, I think that's kind of what I did growing up. I wanted to go to Bama. So it's kind of, that was my dream. And I think that helped me, you know, look at Justin Thomas, look where he's gone. Um, I think that kind of helped me propel myself and motivate me. So I, I like to set the bar really high and like let kids know, like when I tell my elites, like I want 25 hours of minimum practice. If you want to play D1 or at a decent D2 school, that's the minimum. 25 hours a week of practice like your your dream and your work ethic have to match nick does that beautifully and i have kids that want to play at a high level and i don't shy away from telling them like you aren't given enough work to even go play there so why would i waste like if a coach calls me what am i gonna tell him i'm not gonna lie to him i'm just not like because i don't benefit them and i don't benefit you as a player so like i don't i don't know you as a player but i think nick's dead on with that like if you have a school you really want to go to then push for that. Like I've had students want to go play at Duke. Well, Duke, you need to have a you need to have a minimum of a thirty one on the ACT, and you need to have uh, you need to have won a regional or national event, and you need to have multiple competitive events with scores in the sixties. They will not even look at you. They don't care who you are. They don't care if you email them fifteen times a day for the next three years. They don't care. They will not pay attention to you. So that's. That's where the bar is for a school like Duke. You can get there. I've got contacts at Duke. Like but in order like in order to play at Duke, you've got to carry a very high GPA. Here's that other thing about the twenty five hours too. It's not like Hey, Dad, thanks for dropping me off at 4 or like at, at 3, pick me up at at 8 kind of thing. It's like, no, that is intentional practice every single time. That doesn't count you getting in the cart. That doesn't count you checking your phone on the driving range. That doesn't count. Like, no, that means you are actively practicing for 25 plus hours. And that's where when we look at a guy like Nick, it just gets absolutely silly when we're talking about like 40 plus hours. It is, I will say it is easy. I'm online school. I've been online school uh, since 10th grade, so 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. But even before um, then, you were, you were I was, up there. I, I, I would always try to go to school or try to play golf before I went to school. Um, but I think to be, sorry, I kind of no, 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 busted your it. question. No, to be you. online school sounds great and all, um, but you really have to be, um, what's the word for it? You, I mean, you have to be organized, first of all, um, and you have to be dedicated. Like, uh, I think intentional is a good I, word. I, yeah. know a, I know a lot of guys that have gone to online school and all they do is play golf every day. Mm -hmm. and they don't do school and they end up not graduating high school. Mm. Um, which is a requirement to go play is, college that is, golf. A, that is a requirement. And one of those guys is on the PGA tour right now. Doing all right, but there's ways that there's ways around it. And, um, but I think that's something that's helped me a lot with where I want to go. I'll say this too, while Scott's looking for another question, talking about like getting recruited as well. It's like from the baseball side, a lot of the times the people like go to these showcase tournaments and then like, as soon as they're over, like, their mom or their dad will like go and like talk to the recruits like no that's not the time where you go and like 
<laughs> talk to these these uh, these coaches. Like they're there for a specific person, and then they're leaving right after the game or right after the round or whatever it might be. And so I think uh, like some good advice looking back on it from my athletic journey is like talking to these people behind closed doors, like emailing them behind closed doors and being like, listen, like I'm super interested in your school. Can you give me any recommendations for what I should be doing at this age in order to you know be at the level that I need to be by the time I'm ready to be recruited? Exactly. Uh, I'm Tucker, and my question's like, what do you do to work out, and how have you seen that impact your golf game like, and your scores on the course? That's a great question. Um, it's a really good question. I would say I, you know, my dad, you know my dad, he's uh, he works out not really for golf. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. um, and uh, I, you know, when I, I moved to South Carolina, I was 14, um, and I met a guy through a Bama alum, that worked kind of in the physical training and that kind of aspect. And I didn't really take on his, his advice early. You know, I just kind of started lifting weights, doing whatever. And I got bigger, but I lost my flexibility and I lost, you know, my feel. I didn't play as well. And uh, I think you, you, I would highly recommend getting advice from somebody that knows what they're doing first. Um, I, I would highly recommend that. Um, and just, you know, flexibility and mobility is a huge, it's a huge deal in the sport we play. It's not really like, yeah, you can look like Bryson and Brooks, I guess, but it doesn't really work for everybody. Um, you kind of have to, you know, listen to their advice, get multiple people's advice. It's fine. But I would, I would go that route for sure. So yep. this is why, like, I've been around a lot of fitness professionals and a lot I don't trust. I grew up, my mom was a personal trainer. My dad was a bodybuilder. I know this space very well. I know it well enough to know who to trust and who not to trust. And that's why I won't bring on anybody here other than Alex Phillips right now. Yeah. Um, and so, like, if, if you want to learn what to do, like, go see Alex. Uh, what podcast number was that? <laughs> These are a little more recent. Jack will find it here in a second. But um, go... Yeah, it was a couple of weeks ago, and I've already had several students go to see her. She knows what she's doing. She knows what you need. Um, and I know you have – Tucker has a little bit of different uh, in terms of physically has some things he's just born with. And so, like, she's a fantastic resource. She's expensive on the front end, but, like, you don't have to go see her every – couple of weeks like you can go see her once every couple of months she'll build your program you go and execute it she'll show you how to do all the movements learn all the movements show you what you need for your golf game be able to measure everything to make sure you're not losing in certain places and you're gaining in the places you need to and then i can communicate to her what i'm working on in the golf swing she doesn't know anything about the golf swing she doesn't care which is one of the reasons why i like her she's like my job to fix the body you tell me where you're trying to get something and i'll, I'll fix that no and i, I think that's right. i think that's only last somebody like scott or ask somebody that has it's a great intention for you but knows kind of that industry and knows you know missing people um and i think something's helping us break down you know when you go to what is it help with like you know if he has you do something to build your core write that down kind of what it does how it's going to help you and i you know after four or five workouts you kind of can build your own workouts and you can kind of build you know for let's say i i don't have very good flexibility in my left shoulder um, and I have 10 different exercises that can help with that. And that may not apply to you. Um, and I think, you know, like Scott said, ask Scott or ask somebody that knows what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So 
<laughs> you can you can go look at um, you can go look at some of my previous podcasts. Just look for Alex Fitness, uh, Alex Phillips Fitness. Um, it's about like uh, like seven to ten, maybe a little bit more episodes back. But on the Champions Playbook, it's got her uh, Instagram handle too, which I'm gonna find that right now. It is uh, at Q W N T M M as in Mary underscore PT. You probably don't even have to type the whole thing out to Car- sh- for it to show up. I should have be able to And her name's that. Alex Phillips, so that's and that's on Instagram. So. She's fantastic, especially if you've got injuries and things that you got to work through. She's she's fantastic. But I would not recommend doing it by herself. That's my recommendation. <laughs> I would agree with that. I think that's fantastic. Uh, what's next? One more? Somebody? Anybody? 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 Oh, come on. Don't y'all be bashful. You got one more question. One more question. One more question. Everybody's like, I got to think of a question. I got to think of a question. Oh, here we go, Chuck. Yeah, Chuck Sharp. <laughs> you got to take the mic, Chuck. You've done this before. You know I don't need the mic, right? So so anyway, um, what I'd like to know, and I haven't been here for the entire thing, so maybe you've talked about this, but I was always goal-orientated growing up through life, mm-hmm. so... Right now, you're getting ready to go to college. What's your long-term goals, and what advice would you have for young people in setting goals and intermediate goals along the way, not just the end goal, but do you do any goal setting whatsoever? Of of course. I think something that, first of all, there's a lot of apps you can get on your phone, like Strokes Gain apps, Strokes Gain this. You know, I... I keep stats. I think something that Justin Thomas says is really cool. He puts out his entire goals for the year and lists them out of what he wants to do, whether that's gain strokes in this category or do this off the course. Um, I think that's something that's helped me, but also set goals high, like set a couple that like, I want to be the number one player in the world. That's why I play and, you know, be the number one player in the world as a junior amateur, you know, and a pro. That's one of my major goals that I really want to accomplish. And like I said, there's a lot of goals, you know, I want to become a better putter. And like Scott said earlier, you, you know, whether you average, you gain 1.4 strokes per round or whatever it is. If you gain 1.6 on tour, that's probably an average of what? $100,000. Like that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot of money. money. And I just, and it's one more seven footer. Um, and I think setting those intermediate goals, but also have those goals that, you know, you can't really dream big enough. I don't think, I think Tiger's kind of set that bar for us. Um, <laughs> it's unbelievable, but, um, number one part in the world, I want to hold, I, I, I want to hold the junior, the am in the open. Um, and then all the majors, that's one of my big goals and then become the number one player in the world. Those, those are my two big ones. <laughs> I think it's cool, too, that, um, you know, you alluded to, to Justin Thomas in our last podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's really cool that you're getting behind people and institutions that have proven that they can get you to that next step in your life, right? Mm-hmm. And while that was, you know, Scott early on, with Hank, obviously, mm-hmm. um, and now, you know, 
proving your way to the to the junior am and then you know now getting to bama and and getting to get on that proven tour or that proven track record and then you know potentially getting on tour after that i mean i think it's cool that a, a lot of people think that in order to be like tiger woods you have to like pave your own path and it's like that's not necessarily true you just need to no. get behind people who have done it before um and i i think get in the room like we talked about ask, in our last podcast ask questions you were like mm. i thought you know a couple years ago that i was best ever and like yeah and even for guys that are number one in the world right now like i guarantee they're asking questions mm. like how to get better and i asked you know play with a guy named sep straka he represented austria in the olympics um and i ask him questions every time i see him of like how you know what does he do on the road like how many weeks in a row does he play before his body mentally physically gives out like and i just try to learn as much information as i can to when i get to that point i kind of have an idea of what to do do you watch any any youtube at all just like i any? do so scott and i always talk about the tailor-made guys mm -hmm. and how awesome their youtube channel is mm -hmm. and their little kind commercials of, well yeah and backing what you were talking about is asking questions you know let's say they release the new wedge and they give it to the, all the boys the tiger video i'm talking about there's tons of videos i mean there's one in web that was just talking about sand traps. i love that he's not paying attention to youtube this is so great but like yes well, the, so the tailor made like is like well, hold on let me finish my thought let me finish my thought <laughs> Like they'll ask questions. They'll get in the bunker, right? And it'll be like Jason Day, Tiger, and and Rory or that's something like I, that's that. What right? I was talking about. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they like they ask like, so how do you hit this shot? Like, what do you feel in this shot? What do you do in this shot? And they're specifically talking in this one about how how Tiger takes off spin. And Rory was asking him like, Slows well, you know, down like, his hands. Yeah, like how do you? And then Tiger's like, I don't know how to tell you. I just do uh -huh, it, like yep. kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah, but like English, uh, yeah. Uh, Scott just said, Jason was like, can you speak normal? But, um, you know, they ask questions. All those boys do. And it's all a community, right? Because at the end of the day, like, it's not going to come down to Rory beating Tiger because of what Tiger told him mm -hmm. a month ago. Like, no, it's not. That's not what it's about. Like, it's no. about growing the game and growing people's skill sets so much to where, like, you can be curious and ask these questions. No, and I, and I want to beat everybody at their best. I don't want to beat somebody Love because it. they didn't have this information that I had. I just, if you're better than them, you'll beat them with whatever. That's a good point too. I never thought about that. That's a really good point. Well, and so we've talked about this, like getting in the room and rising tide floats all boats and a lot of that kind of stuff. But like by Nick sharing some of the way that he does some of the things, unless it's super proprietary, like by making those guys better, he inevitably makes it harder on himself, which forces him to be better. Like, so that's, that's one of the things that people don't get. Like if your competition gets better, you get better. And like the whole program gets pushed and nudged. And so like Tiger raised the bar and everybody's asking Tiger questions. Tiger's asking Bryson questions. Like, Tiger's still trying to learn and by so doing like by by that mutual sharing of information they all get better you know in economics and business it's called collusion that's illegal so like in sport like golf like they're sharing all of that and they're all the guy that can take all of that and make it work that you can't teach that's learned you know what's the crazy thing that i just thought of and it just specifically specific to me is when um morikawa won this this year when we were first initiating the stat tracking yeah. right and he was using the saw grip and he was like yeah you know i had a conversation with marco mara like you know before the before the tournament started and he told me you know why this benefits me and guess what 
I've been putting like that ever since I've seen Morikawa win. And like I haven't gone back to anything else, which is, I guess, a testament to sharing information and making sure we're all asking questions and whatever works for you works for you. Bryson's a crazy example of that, too. But he never loses his fundamentals right. that are his. Right. That's right. the yeah. difference. And if there's one person that would be exempt from not having to ask questions would be Tiger Woods. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it's kind of like asking, uh, you know, MJ what he thinks or any of those guys. Like, those guys just. They do what they do because that's how they do it. Yeah. And nobody asks questions. <laughs> we have uh, one more question. One more question. Anybody? Just want to make sure everybody's good. Dude, this was awesome. Nick, Nick I, thank you, man. I Thanks so much for being on. This is awesome. Thank and you. Uh, plug, plug everything. We plugged at the beginning. We're going to plug it at the end. Your Instagram and, of course, that... Uh, those that two letter two word phrase <laughs> that i hate so much <laughs> uh nick dunlap 10 and uh roll todd there you go go vols no i'm kidding okay um roll no todd. nick Sorry. thanks so much for for being on the podcast man this has been you know so much fun and uh having you here has been super insightful i mean you know to especially the crowd that we have out here which by the way if you're not here wednesdays at 6 30 you never know who scott and i are going to bring to the podcast so make sure yep. you come on out we call an audible on this one this is a this is a last minute deal Nick, I'll, I'll say this too before we get off. Scott was so excited for you to come on. He like he called me like three days ago or something like that. And he was like, "Dude, you know who we're gonna have on the podcast Wednesday?" <laughs> <laughs> Told me about you. I looked you up and I was like, "Oh, let's go. That's gonna be so much fun, man." Well, I I appreciate you guys you so, guys having me and thank you guys for coming out. It's it's been a lot of fun. We look forward to following you, man, on your journey at Alabama and and hopefully to world golf ranking number one. Hopefully, can we get a round of applause from Nick, everybody? Thank you.